Hello and welcome to Open Source Governance. This is your host Pendar and you're listening to the sixth episode of this podcast. For this episode, I have invited Florian Kramer to discuss populism with me. Before I get to the conversation, I would like to ask you to listen through the whole episode because by the end of the episode, there are a number of announcements that are important to listen to. During our conversation, we cover everything from different types of populism, contemporary examples and less contemporary examples of populism and populist leaders, We will also discuss Dutch politics and COVID restrictions. I'm very happy to have Florian over for this episode because Florian has a deep understanding and a lot of knowledge over this topic. And he has researched this for many years during his research practice. Florian Kramer is a reader or practice-oriented research professor in visual culture and autonomous practices at Willem de Koning Academy in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. He has written a large number of critical essays throughout his career, which encompassed both DIY publishing and academic writing since 1980s. Florian investigates transformation of cultural production, no matter whether they take place in institutional art systems or in popular culture. That's why he has been interested in meme culture for more than a decade. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Florian Kramer on the 15th of April 2022. Okay, Florian, uh, thank you very much for being with me. It's an honor to have you um, uh, on the podcast uh, for this episode. Like I told you, we're going to talk about uh, populism and uh, right-wing movements. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the topics as we go. Um, so I just want to mention that uh, I first... Uh, attended one of your meeting, uh, your uh, lectures okay. uh, in, uh, in back a few years ago uh, about was uh, alt right and mm-hmm. 4chan. It was a really nice lecture. I enjoyed it a lot. And um, well, I'm I'm actually we are colleagues at uh, autonomous practices, and we are teaching. Uh, I am teaching your text to the first year student. Oh my goodness, uh, yes. What, what is autonomy, <laughs> which is a really nice text. Uh, a lot of the students uh, are uh, really connecting with this text. And uh, so these two uh, uh, gave me the idea of, of uh, having you over to talk about populism, which is uh, the topic that was also talked about in the last week. I should also mention that, uh, yeah, as your colleague at Wurm de Koning Academy, um, we had a whole minor, or you could say um, a semester project on populism twice, actually, um, in the minor visual culture together with Jan van Heemst, who is now retired. Um, so it's actually something that we also worked with with uh, students. 
and also in relation, for example, populism and meme culture, which is something that really you know, um, links to the practice of students in an art school. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah, it would be uh, interesting to, to see like how, how did you come to follow uh, the, 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 this topic uh, of, of uh, alt-right and meme culture mm -hmm. and the history behind it, the online movements and activi activism around it? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit biographical because I grew up um, as a teenager in the 1980s in West Berlin, back then it was still divided. And um, I really grew up in this kind of punk, post-punk culture of the 1980s. And you could say the alt-right already existed there. Yeah? Um, so punk was, nowadays it's mostly seen as a kind of left anarchist movement, but you always had the also the, the, the fascist elements in it. Yeah? Um, and then by the end of the 80s, it was more separated than into punk and skinhead culture where it was clear cut. But in the 80s, it was much more ambiguous. Um, and there was also, you know, a lot of playing with uh, fascist symbols, for example, with uh, swastikas and British punk, etc., etc. And some people took that very literally, right? Mm. So in that sense, it's uh, nothing new. And then when the alt-right phenomenon came up um, in with the first Trump election, in 2016, um, yeah, we had already done some research on meme culture, on image boards, uh, um, also on troll campaigns before, and you could see there were many people who were simply not able to connect the dots, who were not able to read it. And this is almost, it was a repetition of my teenage years. You know, in my teenage years, I was in a class, and let's say we had maybe in, in a class of 30 people, there were like uh, three people who were neo-Nazis, but our teachers uh, thought that they were left-wing punks because they looked like uh, left-wing punks. And exactly the same thing was happening again uh, with the alt-right in 2016. But in the meantime, again, this whole thing has shifted. And we haven't seen it again right during the COVID uh, 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 protests and the, the COVID denier movement. Yeah, you saw these dancing hippies on the streets and people also couldn't make sense of it. Mm -hmm. uh, why are these people who look like they're coming, I don't know, from a from a hippie commune of the 1960s why are they uh, dancing on the streets with fascists and uh, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's actually something very interesting to uh, i well i would like to get there but maybe we can already talk about it mm -hmm. because um a lot of um a lot of um tools and um, uh, ways of working that are used by the right um or uh, you know people who are active mm -hmm. in the, let's say the right or mm -hmm. or the nationalist kind of or, or like whatever in europe it's really fascism you know i would <laughs> say it's really fascism, it's and, fascism. And, and and yes and, and you know it's dressing it up uh, again in kind of different clothes and fashions but, but but in the end it's 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 let's say the old fascist movement which takes on new shapes yeah and also which which has a strategy of kind of disguising itself or you know not calling itself fascist and and yeah then then once appearing as punks or as hippies in order to mm. to uh yeah uh create confusion about itself basically right. yeah. so so what i'm trying to say is that the the kind of tools that are used by the mm. fascist uh groups are departing from this uh, 
mostly civil rights activists, groups mm -hmm. that are trying to kind of have uh, deliver a new message uh, through like the new tools that they discovered. Mostly in the 60s or 70s, these communes were made mm -hmm. like, uh, and the yeah, hippie culture and uh, later the, the punk culture. So all of these like autonomous kind of groups mm -hmm. that that started to get together and, and mobilize and, and try to create a new way of working or thinking or alternative ways, let's say, that usually undermine the mainstream. Uh, Yes, are, are now used by the by the fascist groups. Yeah, but I would also question this kind of historical narrative because if you look, for example, at 1960s counterculture and then American hippie culture, right? Mm. Uh, then you have a film, for example, a cult film like Easy Rider with Dennis Hopper. Mm. But what is this film about? It's it's uh, uh, it's about uh, the Hell's Angels, and the Hell's Angels always have been a white supremacist uh, uh, outlaw bikers club. Mm -hmm. They've always been on the right. Or another example is the the Charles Manson family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. what was the Charles Fem uh, Manson family about? It was also about white supremacism. It was was all uh, the the murders were uh, instigated by a kind of uh, racial hatred. Uh, um, that was the, the the ultimate motivation. So you could say the fascist elements were already there in the 1960s counterculture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, a book or a source that I'm often referring to, which I think kind of beautifully sums it up, is the novel The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon, uh, which talks about a kind of underground organization that that operates as an underground postal network, courier network. Huh? It's it's almost the anticipation of what we nowadays have with, I don't know, peer-to-peer -peer networks and also mm. alternative forms of dissemination. But in The novel was written in 1966, 1967, mm -hmm. um, and but there the neo-fascists are also part of that counterculture of, of mm -hmm. this countercultural fabric or, or web, right? So, right. yeah, I would question that. Uh, I think they are, always have been part of these these movements. Mm -hmm. uh, only the question is to which degrees have they been in the fringes? Yeah? And then, mm -hmm. for example, at fringes that also overlap with esoteric beliefs. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, and esotericism in general, um, and uh, to which degree do they have a hegemony? Uh, mm -hmm. Also, if, if you look at the beginning of, of counterculture movements in Western Europe, uh, then you really have to start with the German life reform movement uh, um, of the early 20th century, mm -hmm. uh, where people like, for example, Walter Benjamin came, came uh, from, but which was also the birth of modern fascism, you know, right. at the same time. Eh? Yeah. And that's why Hitler was a vegetarian. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and you, even, even that Hitler branded his form of fascism national socialism mm -hmm. was such a, you know, a cl clever kind of memeing strategy yeah. because socialism was something left, so right? And he said, okay, yeah, we are also socialists, but we are national socialists. It's, it's the same kind of strategy, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's like, let's say just how you wrap the... Yeah. How, how you wrap it and, and present it, it as, a, as a populist. Uh, yeah, there was a... <laughs> successful example, I would say. That. Yes, I think you have. What you have to do is strategically, you have to kind of cut through the the ideological expectations. Mm -hmm. You have to present something that your adversaries um, or your enemies don't expect. Yeah? yeah, and 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 then you can take them by surprise. Yeah, and that's for example by calling your fascist movement socialist or whatever. Yeah, maybe uh, this is a then a good shift to. <sighs> speaking about mainstream and establishment mm -hmm. so for for decades now after the war 
establishment and mainstream are, are kind of being are are, are what it, what we know as uh, the way the only single way of uh, uh, working uh, for the society, right? So so let's say the the governments in the West mm -hmm. are known to be conducting certain ways of organizing that is known now as the mainstream and for the populist or let's say the modern populist is uh, the way of so the undermining this this mainstream is always interesting for for the populace for the people yes but i th i would say that's maybe a rather new development and maybe that's also something that only really broke through in the late 1990s so for example in the netherlands with pim fortein mm -hmm. um, that you could say um in the whole post-war period there was still a unity between mainstream and populism mm -hmm. yeah politics themselves were quite populist european post-war politics were quite populist right, right? um and uh, i i only know it from the country where i grew up in germany uh, you know if you were from the populist right then you still felt part of the mainstream also of the political mainstream especially okay. the conservative mainstream right. Right. and and that is something you could say an alliance that that broke up but maybe at this this is the point where we also need to define what populism actually is mm -hmm. because it's really difficult um uh, there is political theory by it by Karl Müller, for example um who then simply defines it as um it's let's say a discourse that um, frames the virtuous uh, 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 people against the corrupt elite. That's, that's, that's often the most common assumption, right? But mm -hmm. then you also have um, uh, political uh, philosophies of populism that defend populism as a strategy, for example, by Chantal Mouffe and uh, Ernesto Laclau. Mm -hmm. um, and you see that, for example, left populist parties such as Syriza in Greece and Podemos in, in Spain were actually influenced by, by these political philosophies, mm -hmm. yeah, by this... Uh, Uh, and they had their origins actually in, in South American uh, leftist populist or popular movements of mm -hmm. the 1970s. Yeah? Okay. So um, I think the problem is that the term populist is not very sharp. It's not very clear because um, populism could simply mean, yeah, we're standing up for the people. We are standing up for the people who are not represented. Mm -hmm. Or there is a, is a, there is a discrepancy between what, let's say, the multitude um, or the community of people is in the streets and the the people who are running things. Yeah? Right. Um, send them. Yes. But you can also interpret, uh, interpret it because uh, populism means, I mean, yeah, a, an ism of the people and an ism that, that is concerned with the people. You can also interpret it, uh, this in, in ethnic nationalist terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you, for example, say, well, the people, that's, for example, the Dutch people mm -hmm. and the white Dutch people, right? And we are the people and, for example, the immigrants are not uh, 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 the people. Mm -hmm. So, so, and also um, the people in the sense of actually the mainstream, like, for example, yeah, we as the people, uh, we are 90% heterosexual. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, the minorities, they should shut up, you know, mm -hmm. this this. This, yeah. yeah, so that that is also a form of populism, and that is also what you see in these right-wing populist movements. So, for example, um, also during the Corona uh, uh, crisis, mm -hmm. basically the the, the right-wing populist discourse was 
uh, well, a few people die, but the majority uh, cannot live their lives. And, and the majority is the people. So the people is getting suppressed yeah. you know, by a minority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which, which is a kind of social Darwinist. Yeah? It has these, these, these elements of social Darwinism. Yeah? Yeah. Survival of the fittest. And, and, and also right of the stronger uh, uh, person. That can also be a form of populism. Right. Yeah? But then if you say, for example, um, like political theory says, it's, it's the framing of the virtuous people against the corrupt masses, then you can also say all the uh, revolutions that took place in Eastern Europe, for example, in 1989 or the Arab Spring uh, were populist insurgencies. Yeah? Yeah. Because they all worked with that narrative, and rightfully so. So it's, it's something... Do you delegitimize something or do you say populism is bad only? Uh, so, so it's, for example, the, was the Arab Spring wrong or were the Eastern European uprisings against Stalinist communism? Um, were they wrong because they used the narrative of the virtuous people against the corrupt right. elites? Yeah. The co co elites were corrupt, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so they were right. Yeah? So, <laughs> that's, that's often a problem with these kind of liberal theories of, of, of populism that they cannot, do not take into account that actually the uh, elites can be corrupt and, and, and that there can be a justified uh, populist uprising. Yeah, well, in that sense, if, if you think about it, all revolutions are coming from populist... Mm. Um, uh, uprisings so I, I mean I agree yes the the, <laughs> the uh, kind of uh, rhetoric uh, that is trying to tag things certain things good or bad in that sense I agree with you that uh, populism is not necessarily a negative thing mm -hmm. uh, it is just a way of or mobilizing yes right yes. Uh, and and yeah, that's really interesting to hear about all of the, the different and, de definitions of populism. That and may, maybe I can also add something from my own German experience. Also, having grown up in this kind of um, yeah, so-called reunification period, so I was I was twenty when the the war came down. Sorry, you were in the east of uh, uh, west. Yeah. Uh, west. I grew up in West Berlin. West Berlin. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also part of my family lived in East East Berlin. Okay. Um, and um, so the slogan of the East Germans who went on, on the street to demonstrate and protest it in 1989 was, um, we are the people. Mm -hmm. huh? That was the slogan of the revolution, we are the people. Yeah. Uh, and you can say that's, let's say it's the core of populism, mm -hmm. to say we are the people and you, uh, the central country, are not. Yeah. Yeah? But, but what you see nowadays is, I mean, in the same region, East Germany is now really in the hands of, of the extreme right. Uh, mm. It's really uh, under a, uh, yeah, I would say a hegemony, a discursive hegemony of, of the extreme right. And for example, with the Pegida protests, also the mm. Corona denier movement there, they reuse that song yeah? to say we are the people. And it means we are the East German white yeah. uh, ger uh, ethnic German uh, people and, and uh, you who do not uh, fit in, you are not, mm -hmm. you, you have no rights. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. So it's always been a kind of double-edged sword. Yeah? Yeah. This, this kind of, you could say maybe populism is something that, that assumes that the people have a natural right. Yeah. And that's, that's a really double-edged uh, sword uh, because it can very easily become a kind of fascist uh, trope and narrative. True. And ideology, yes. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to to see uh, every time the the kind of 
usage of this word the people like by mm. by the leaders by the yes by the uh, people who have a charisma or they have something uh, new to say they are alternative mm -hmm. leaders or alternative uh, thinkers or people who kind of uh, the mass or like people who think they're underrepresented they look at is that they always refer to the people so the, mm -hmm. to the, they declare that they are coming from the voice of the people and I um, it of course helps that it, the background is a little mm. bit maybe yes yes and no huh? mm. uh, in that respect I find for example uh, Pim Fatine a really interesting figure um, by the way he was someone who started as a Marxist in mm. the 1970s as a Marxist uh, sociologist and he was someone who also was a contributor to uh, self-organized uh, artistic projects in, 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 yeah. in the Netherlands, yes. Mm -hmm. um, um, among others, uh, when Mediamatic was still a kind of bottom-up journal for media theory, he mm -hmm. was one of its contributing writers. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, uh, Pim Fortein was, was the exact opposite of someone who, who pretended to be the, from the people. I mean, he was kind of a dandy, an aristocratic dandy, right? Uh, openly gay, um, uh, uh, driving in a limousine uh, with two dogs. Um, you know, he was the absolute opposite of uh, an, 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 uh, of a proletarian or down to the earth uh, a person. Right. Um, but through this kind of contrast, mm -hmm. yeah, like like being the extreme op uh, uh, opposite, mm -hmm. he managed to kind of um, appear authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because then, then people said, "Oh, yeah, he's not one of these kind of professional politicians who pretend that they are of us, but he 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 is what he is, right? Yeah. Uh, he's this eccentric figure, and that's all. I think that's very interesting in all kinds of populist, but also in fascist movements. That very often uh, the leader doesn't fit the bill at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in the case of of of. Uh, Uh, the German Third Reich, and I should really make sense, uh, clear that I do not want to put Pim Fortein in, in a comparison. I'm not. No, no, no. This is really another example. Yeah. I don't want to, to compare him to the Third Reich at all. Mm. That would not be fair. Mm. Um, but in the case of the German Reich, yeah, the leader was, you know, of um, this Aryan Third Reich where only blue-eyed blonde people uh, should should uh, be the genetic future. Mm. Um, the leader was an Austrian with black hair, right? And and and. Uh, 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 unclear um, uh, birth uh, uh, certificate, and, um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's that's very typical. That very often, um, populism is also has a negative element, mm -hmm. a kind of self-denying element. It's also, it's also, I think, a frustration um, about what you wanna be and what what you aren't actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The self-denying element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or for example, Heinrich, Heinrich Himmler, the the um, head of the SS. Yeah. Uh, you could only become a member of uh, the SS if if you were blonde and blue-eyed. But I think he he wasn't even himself. No. And 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 he, he he tried to to pass the physical exam of the SS, but couldn't. He was was totally unathletic. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> yes, yes. But that's very typical. I mean, yeah. that's very typical. That there's also this this kind of moment of of discrepancy or failure, mm -hmm. but which then also gives, I think, a sense of community, a sense of uh, belonging. Yeah. That, that you say, yeah, we are imperfect. We are not living up to our own ideals, but we are still being accepted in this community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Well, uh, speaking about community, um, you know, um, with the online culture mm -hmm. that is like enabling um, a lot of things that were otherwise not possible uh, before, pre, pre, before the internet and, and all these communities that are online. For example, I often tend to think that people behind keyboard are more courageous mm -hmm. and more outspoken uh, rather than when they are in real life, right? Yes, yes. Um, Especially in America, because yeah. you see that America has much lesser tradition of street activism than Europe. Yeah, also yeah. distances. Yes, yes, and you see that the alt-right always, always failed, always, it always ended in a disaster when they went on the street. And the first was Charlottesville, and the second was the, the storming uh, of the Capitol. Yeah. yeah, but then, the, yeah, in the US it kind of works that people find each other through these like, dark, yeah. dark websites. Or, um, Whereas maybe I think, still in Europe I think you it, still could sit in a bar and, and openly yeah, talk about. Yeah, but I think in, in, in the US it also has to do with the physical distance. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I, I yeah. mean. It's, it's simply not easy to kind of gather yeah, uh, exactly. uh, 100,000 people in a city because people have to travel several thousand kilometers. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And then, then particularly also of if he's speaking of the populist right, which is often rural and not in the cities, etc. Et true, so, true. You wouldn't so, expect to have a convention in New York, yes. mm. but you would, yeah, see it in, in I don't know, mm. south. Yes. Down yeah. South. Yeah. But where? I mean, even there, <laughs> people would have to travel several thousand kilometers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and not like here. I mean, it's this is also. You see also that that uh, yeah, uh, the, let's say the populist phenomena are not just linked to politics, but for example, if you look at European uh, football culture, right? That's also a populist. Yeah, culture like hooligans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so with regarding the community that is constantly feeling that they are underrepresented, unheard. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last episode, I spoke about the priorities that are different within different nations. For mm -hmm. example. Uh, I yeah, was addressing the COVID uh, protests that people are angry. It could be as, as easy for somebody to be angry about not being able to have a drink late at night. Yes. Uh, to for Enough for him or her to come out to the street and destroy public property. Mm -hmm. That could really make somebody that much angry. Well, at the same time, in, in, like, uh, in West Asia, you could mm -hmm. have somebody going doing the same actions to go to the street mm. because of really more basic uh, rights. So, so the priority or, uh, is also linked to, uh, to um, privileges, let's say, yes. of different uh, 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 um, natures for, from different locations. Uh, in the US is different, mm. in, in West Europe is different. But uh, I'm kind of thinking... So, with thinking about uh, expression and being feeling unheard and like freedom of speech, some, something that a lot mm. of uh, people uh, tend to maneuver around uh, in populism, um, which sometimes then could shift to hate speech mm -hmm. because then it's, it's unclear sometimes which which is which uh, yeah and what you always see in right-wing populist uh, movements is also that the understanding of freedom of speech is not um let's say that people uh, feel that they're not allowed to say what they think because they're doing it all the time right i mean uh, <laughs> that that's that's what these uh, movements do that they uh, articulate uh, their opinions but um what they expect is um to articulate their op opinions and not uh, receive critique Mm. Huh? This is also what the whole, 
let's say that the moral panic about cancel culture is right mm -hmm. that, that that people uh, expect that they can say anything but that there will be no resistance to it and that that's of course an understanding of freedom of speech that that is completely um yeah uh how do you say that it's completely uh, surreal or it, 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 it it's it's not grounded in, in not even in a, in a juridical or philosophical uh notion of of uh, the uh, freedom of speech i think it's it's basically also about um let's say a feeling of loss of privilege mm -hmm. I, i think i think that the right-wing populist movements in the west are fundamentally um a reaction let's say an unacknowledged reaction to the uh, change of uh, social demographics and that mm. people uh, uh, feel in particular white people feel disenfranchised and say yeah, yeah. we are no longer being heard we no longer have the saying in our own society uh, yeah the, and mm. yeah it's changing like the, 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 the people don't like to see change around them and then to see like different people coming in taking jobs or like uh, the face of For example, for Europe, for a long time now, it's the saying that the, mm. the demographic, demographic uh, face of Europe is being changed by all the mm. immigration. So, so the, yeah, so the norms, let's say, values, all of these notions that are kind of yeah, but but especially the, the you know the narrative on on uh, on the populist right is you know it's not. I mean, only if you go into to the absolute extremes, uh, you will have the narratives like all foreigners out or all immigrants out or uh, yes, um, or um, or we, we, we ban um, homosexuality or queerness or whatever. Mm. Um, um, that's you will only find this in, in, in the in the most extreme fringes. But um, let's say in the, what you have in the populist mainstream is that you say, yeah, there can be immigrants. There, there can be queer people, mm. but uh, they have to shut up um, because they do not belong. They, they, they are not. Uh, uh, they are not the people. Mm. No? Um, they are okay if they integrate, and integrate means yeah. You keep silent. You yeah. know, you, yeah. you, 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 you behave like. Uh, Uh, what is still imagined to be the the, the majority? The, the norm, yeah, yeah, the yeah. And yes, yes. So this anchor normal, mm -hmm. and, yes, and which is like do normal, normal, yes, yes, do normal. That's that's, exactly. that's the ideology. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. So do normal is like well for mm -hmm. for the listeners who don't know, in the Netherlands there's a party now in charge. Uh, I don't know if it's a hang government or it's just a majority every day. Yes, the party mm -hmm. of uh, Mark Rutte, who is yes. the prime minister, uh, for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, they are a conservative uh, party that they're officially they're, even a liberal party. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yes. that, that's, that's where, where, where I'm headed. <laughs> so, like, uh, officially liberal, as, mm -hmm. as Florian says, um, but they are known to be conservative um, and. Uh, in 2000 and and uh, i think when was the last election 16 or 17? the last election was uh, a year ago actually no i mean before that um, oh uh, that was in 2017 yes. 17 right mm -hmm. so in 2017 um was like it was one year after trump was elected mm -hmm. and uh well fascist and, and and extreme right were kind of saw that well this is mm -hmm. possible maybe why not in mm -hmm. europe so and we have a, a politician, uh, Hurt Wilders, who 
then in 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 the Netherlands gained a lot of attract attention uh, after uh, election of uh, Donald Trump, and uh, so the whole rhetoric of the middle, mm-hmm. the conservative, kind of shifted then yes. towards right. So yeah. so if if you if there is like an anchor point for the middle conservatism, mm. this one this uh, there was a time that it shifted to the right. And then, uh, so the left became the middle, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this very famous uh, uh, s- slogan, Normal Dune. Yeah, it was part of a letter that Mark Rutte wrote uh, to the Dutch yes. people. Yeah, normal yeah. Dune or, or leave. Yeah, exactly. Do, do normal or leave. Or go away, yes. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> so that was kind of like a shock for a lot of people to see mm. like a, a, a supposedly liberal uh, leader. Uh, saying that, saying that thing only because but it's, he, an, it's an old Dutch saying, right? Yeah, uh, do normal. Yeah, um, yeah and 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 uh, it's also part of uh, I would say the the Calvinist cultural tradition, right? Um, which means to be disciplined as a society. Yeah, yeah, and and, now, and, and, and and yeah, and to put your eccentricities, uh, let's say. Live them out in your private space, but not in the public. That's <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. a Dutch idea, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Don't, don't rock the boat. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, but but now we have Le Pen and and Macron in France also. Yes. So the same thing is kind of happening. They they are the two front runners. Um, so like whenever this is happening, you see this shift towards right only because you wanna as a politician get, gain more uh, attention from also the supporters who are mm-hmm. who might be in front of you so they could be behind you right mm-hmm. um, but in, in, yeah. in France it's maybe even more complex because again uh, yeah the Macron go- government is very comparable in its in its ideology to the Rutte government in the Netherlands mm-hmm. in, in that most of all and and what its real agenda is it's it's like pro-business neoliberalism yeah, mm-hmm. That's that's what it's really about. I mean, yeah. even with Mark Rutte, you could say he, he dresses up as a right-wing populist whenever there are elections. But the real agenda is, you know, tax breaks um, um, uh, to allow uh, uh, international hedge funds to 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 buy up uh, the real estate in the Netherlands um, and and uh, uh, for international companies to have uh, tax-free. Um, uh, shelters here in the Netherlands. That, that's what it's really about. Yeah? Yeah. And also, by the way, with Pim Fortuyn, it's really interesting. I mean, there's now, I can really recommend that there is now a TV series uh, on, on Pim Fortuyn produced uh, by the Dutch public uh, TV, which is really good, I must say. It's, 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 uh, uh, it also has some grotesque uh, elements, but what it underlies is that uh, the people who backed uh, Pim Fortuyn's were, were real estate uh, speculators. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's what's always behind it. You know, yeah. there's always <laughs> there, there is economic interest in it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yes. And and there's a beautiful scene in, in the series where um, the driver of the social democratic uh, uh, top candidate um, has a mother who lives here in Rotterdam in Spangen. And I'm not sure whether it's authentic or whether they, they, they invented it for the series. And uh, lives in the slumlord apartment, and um, uh, and where nothing is done, and which is which, where they basically try to uh, the landlord tries to to pester her out of the place by not repairing it, mm-hmm. um, and um, then out of protest that the, back then the social democratic uh, government didn't do anything for it, then the uh, chauffeur votes for Pim Fortuyn. 
Well, actually, the main f uh, financier of Pim Fortuyn of the party was that slumlord, you know, right. which is true. I mean, it's really true that the slumlords were, were the ones who also gave uh, free offices to, to Pim Fortuyn's uh, party, later to Rita Fadong's uh, party, etc., etc. So that is also, I think you can say on, on, on the level of professional politics, uh, populism is often a strategy and it's the same with Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same. There were business interests. Yeah. yeah, there were business interests and you use a populist uh, rhetoric, you, you, you present yourself as the, uh, the, the, the man people. of the people, yeah. but what you really do, and it's also the same with Bolsonaro in, in, uh, in Brazil, with Duterte in the Philippines, etc. What they all do is, you know, uh, feed some crumbs to the masses mm. and while actually doing politics for their own business interests. Yeah. And that's in, in a way, probably you could say it's, it's a political recipe, you know, that goes back to the Roman empire and, uh, exactly. yeah. And, and the parliament, uh, so, so give the people bread and, and circus games and then they will be happy and, and, mm. and you can, uh, uh, do good, take good care of yourself yeah. as a, as a political leader. Yes. Mm. So, so, yeah, my <laughs> question would then be, well, the average person, uh, this keeps happening, this keeps repeating itself yes. in, in different forms and shapes. And people, it, people tend to, to kind of be able to, uh, to distinguish be, between something that's this repeating itself mm -hmm. when it comes to... Uh, Maybe different cases. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that election later. But I'm just wondering what 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 keeps happening that uh, the average person is always lured to the idea of populism and and and, and keep, yeah, keep doing the same thing. Over. Yeah, well, because I think the legitimate concerns that the political system doesn't doesn't serve. Uh, uh, the people. Right. I mean, yes. I mean, if you now live in Rotterdam, and for example, you can no longer find an affordable house. That's that's a complaint, right? I mean, it's the the Sorry. it is. I mean, it is something. Um, um, yeah, in 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 our teaching with autonomous practices, we also deal with kind of uh, self-sustaining systems. And the German sociologist Niklas Luhmann had this theory that any kind of organization, in the end, is mostly concerned about its self-preservation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at, at some point, the same, of course, happens with politics. At, at some point, you get a self-referential system. And we also know that, I mean, you know that from our school, at some point, mm -hmm. also these organizations become self-referential and they, they kind of uh, lose track of what their, you know, what their real community care should, should be. And mm -hmm. it's difficult. I think it's difficult with any kind of um, bureaucratic uh, organization. It's very easy to say, yeah, it's because of, bureaucratic complexity is because it's abstract because it's detached etc etc mm -hmm. yeah i mean we, we this is also the dilemma that we face when we teach autonomous self-organization in our uh, classes that very often yeah if, if you are a community project self-organized and you work with informal structures um, then you don't have these problems of detachment uh, mm -hmm. and and let's say misrepresentation or not seeing what's actually happening mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you're also vulnerable to to other things such as, for example, unsafety on the work uh, floor, um, uh, power structures that 
are invisible mm -hmm. but very strong things that that, that that happen where you then need to introduce policies right mm -hmm. and but when you introduce policies and when you then kind of professionalize uh, the organization then you become self-referential i don't know a way out of this yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yeah this, that's what you say all institu institutions are, are they become uh self-referential uh, or like they, they just be, to be sustainable you, yes they, so it, it then comes to and we also know it from the art world which is highly self-referential right that's, yeah it's a similar way where you also say art should really be for the people mm -hmm. yeah we know that this is a fiction yeah And, and even, you know, there is no other word which is, has such an inflation in the contemporary art system as care. You could say it's almost a joke, you know, the, the, the less real care there is, the more the word is being used. You know? Yeah, it becomes, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with, well, the, maybe also with political correctness, that's mm -hmm. kind of the same thing, because it, it um, That is something that, again, the populists are always trying to kind of um, address or undermine the political correctness, mm -hmm. the language that is being um, kind of uh, advertised or turning into a mainstream now. Yeah. Uh, But it, of but course, it has to do with the power relations. Huh? Yeah, I yeah. mean, what... I mean, first it was called political correctness. Now it's being called woke, uh, and it's also this is also being weaponized by by the uh, the ones who disagree with it. Mm. Um, but uh, what, for example, these language politics really about is, is about representation of marginalized people. And mm. and then again, and there exactly you get this culture clash where then when you have the kind of right wing populist standpoint mm. where you say, yeah, the people is like. It's a physical body, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's an organic idea of the, the, the people. It's like, and, and that's also a fascist idea, I must say. Mm -hmm. It's an idea, let's say, we are a community and the community is, you know, it's like an organic um, whole. Mm -hmm. yeah? And anything that doesn't fit it is something like a virus, mm -hmm. yeah? an intruder, mm -hmm. something that we need to push out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, And that, that's very much, was also very much the ideological basis, for example, of national socialism in, 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 in Germany. Mm -hmm. To say, <clears throat> the German people, we are an organic unity, and there's an organic unity between the Führer, Adolf Hitler, and the people. They, they speak the same voice, they are like one, one uh, whole. One whole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, um, you have this fascist uh, ideology, you wouldn't expect it, but in, in, the, in the popular 1920s film Metropolis, which was actually written, mm -hmm. the screenwriter was a national socialist, Thea von Habu, and it's also about the, the you know, the, it's, it's about class conflict between the workers and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, uh, the factory owners, but then this is being resolved through an organic unity. Yeah, and where, where it says, yeah, there's the mind and there's the body. So the mind are the leaders and the body are the workers and they need to be connected to the heart, you know. And that's also what we see again now in, in the contemporary movements like the Corona Denies. They say, yeah, it's about the heart. It's about feeling. It's about emotions. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like an, yeah, 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 it's, 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 it's an emotional politics, exactly, right? but, yeah. it, but with this desire to have this kind of organic unity. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, let's say a hostility towards anything that's abstraction mm. um, abstraction and uh, uh, that is something that is not part that does not fit itself into this organic whole mm -hmm. yeah. exactly yeah true the, that kind of um, 
I, I can't help but think about well, when we were th uh, thinking about uh, expressions, feelings, mm -hmm. uh, and ag agitations, and so so kind of expressive kind of uh, or, or feelings that yes. un unite people together. Um, and and when you when you think about what's happening uh, online, mm -hmm. um, uh, well, the, most of these movements, most of the people who are then lured into different uh, kind of topics are don't even know what they are. For example, with QAnon in 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 the states with with conspiracy theories. Or, that, that's yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly something you know what what gives you let's say this kind of warm bath of belonging to a community and belonging to a whole yeah this sense of belonging and yes. being taken care of heard being yes, heard yes 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 yeah. mm -hmm. So that's that's like this emotionally uh, attachments that mm -hmm. that unite a, a good number of people that that then they can actually make some effect that otherwise will uh, would would then be deemed in unimportant. Uh, or like uh, ridiculous or or not even yes but you yeah. know the interesting thing is if we identify these kind of desires as populist um, that if you, we take the political philosophy of Chantal Mouffe and Ernesto Laclau and their concept of populism is the opposite yeah their concept of populism is based on antagonism and actually on acting out differences mm. and saying also we do not need to resolve differences mm. but we, we should have conflict in society and society should be able to you know to sustain uh, uh, conflicts not not always uh, 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 resolve it and um, which by the way reminds me immediately of the office of inclusivity <laughs> report <laughs> about our school which said that exactly this is is lacking huh? this this yeah. kind of um, readiness to also accept that you cannot agree on something mm -hmm. um, and um, that was a report that this doesn't exist Yes, okay. yes, yes. Which said that there is, let's say, shying away from conflict mm -hmm. and um, trying to kind of harmonize everything through geselligheid huh? yeah. and and um, uh, and not acknowledging that you can have differences of, of uh, positions. And that's, that's actually this this idea, you know, that you do not need to resolve a conflict, but that you can just keep it. Yeah, that that. You can have antagonizing factions within society, and that's okay. Yeah, they don't need to 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 uh, uh, resolve their their antagonism. That's that's the, the core of the concept of populism by Laclau and and, and Mouffe, uh, which is almost the opposite of what we just described as populism before, mm -hmm. right? So so there's the idea actually that in the moment where, for example, the people go on the street and they protest something, for example, the the, the housing crisis in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. then it is good to have this antagonism and to, to keep keep up this antagonism. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you will not be generating yeah. a, a dialogue or, or, or uh, yeah. Yeah. But but interestingly enough, uh, their philosophy was based <laughs> again on, on a fascist uh, German philosopher mm. uh, and, and uh, legal theorist uh, Karl Schmidt. Um, who was maybe next to Heidegger the only kind of uh, remarkable intellectual in the in, in the Third Reich, uh, attached to the Nazi Party, and he he had the same concept, but then yeah, coming come from fascism says there always needs to be an enemy. You, know? mm. uh, you always you, you can only unite society if you fight against uh, something, and even if 
the enemy doesn't exist, you need to invent uh, the enemy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm very, very familiar with that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and we see Welcome. how this is a memeing strategy, how all this ties in with, with, uh, uh, um, with uh, populism, because just this weekend, um, I, I went to the flea market, which, which I often do on, on, on weekends, and uh, on my way back from Fladinge, I was at Marconi uh, plant station, and there was a sticker, yeah. um, and it showed the heads of um, Rütte, we mentioned him before, Sigrid Kach, who is uh, from the other Liberal Party coalition partner, and then behind them, uh, Soros and, and, and Bill Gates. Yeah? Uh, and, and then it says, uh, the big reset, you will own nothing, yeah? speaking to the people. Mm -hmm. and, and so these are the people who are betraying you. And then there were the party logos of all Dutch parties, including the party of Gert Wilders, the only party that was not there with the logo was Forum for Democracy by Thierry Baudet. So, you know, they were actually uh, the ones who made the sticker. Okay. Right? Um, and um, now the reason why I mentioned this, because it, it uses, I mean, George Soros has become this meme, right? Mm -hmm. This anti-Semitic and, and um, both anti-Semitic and anti-capitalist meme. But the thing is that the, the idea to build up Soros as this kind of arch enemy um, was actually in, invented by, you won't believe it, two Jewish, Israeli um, 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 and American uh, um, campaign, political campaign managers. Mm. Uh, um, and the thing is, uh, yeah, we know Viktor Orban, huh? who also do, does, is, does populist politics in, 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 in uh, Europe, and who is a big friend and, and a good collaborator of Benjamin Netanyahu. Mm. Um, and uh, at his second last, I mean, he, Orban just uh, won his uh, uh, elections, but the, in the elections before, the problem was there was no more opposition in, in, in Hungary. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so he didn't know how to, to campaign. <laughs> and, and, and then Netanyahu yeah, told him, I'm really not making this up. Netanyahu told him, I have two really good managers. I sent them to you. They, they, will, they, they will bring something up. And the, the guys were really good. They said, yeah, George Soros, he's perfect. You know, because he's, they created one. Yeah, they created one. I mean, okay. he, George Soros didn't even live in Hungary, but he's of Hungarian uh, origin. And then he's this kind of capitalist, globalist and Jewish on top of that. I didn't mention it in the campaign, but it was an anti-Semitic campaign. Mm -hmm. and, and this was the origin of the George uh, Soros meme. Yeah? Mm -hmm. and, and now you saw it, how it spilled over into the kind of general kind of meme discourse of the populist right. So, for example, George Soros and Bill Gates, they, uh, they want to uh, inject microchips uh, with the vac vaccinations, corona vaccinations. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes from there, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's the Schmidtian theory of, yeah, if there is no enemy, you have to create the enemy in order to unite the people and mobilize the people. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm. this. <laughs> <that's a> <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of all right. So so then that that then goes back to what you said about the different the populism being complex and then different ways of explaining. Yes, it. yes. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that that um, uh, populism can both this ideology that is about. Um, you know, harmonizing and unifying and having this fascist idea of the, the kind of organic unity of the mm. people. But it can also be this kind of adversarial 
uh, contrarian idea. And yeah. maybe that this is also the kind of paradox of contemporary uh, mm. capitalism, both, yeah? uh, if, especially if you look now at the Western European uh, populist movements, like the corona deniers, they have both. They have the kind of contrarian, countercultural elements, and they have the idea of the community care and the organic unity of the people, etc., etc. Right. And this is also something, I mean, I, I would say the alt-right, when it started in the mid-2010s, it was more contrarian uh, adversarial, and, and now it has morphed into this kind of corona denier hippie discourse where it is both, and maybe because of that even stronger. With QAnon, you have the same thing. It also has this combination of like Christian camps, Christian communities. I mean, the, the, this this uh, corona, uh, sorry, this this QAnon group, for example, which is on Dallas and waiting for the. Resurrection of John F. Kennedy. Are you familiar with them? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they've been there on the airport now for three months or something like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the newest theory is actually that, that uh, Donald Trump is John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I can't and they, they, they even compared photographs that actually, you know, <laughs> John F. Kennedy was not really killed, but he, he, he went underground and then he gave himself a new identity. It's actually Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah but, we, we <laughs> it, but there are people in Dallas yes. waiting. Yes. 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 yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's also the thing I think for us both, you know, come working in the arts. Yeah. That, that is maybe also the fascination with it. There is an enormous amount of creativity in it. Yeah, I've heard in, in uh, QAnon there was uh, this writer who was a failed mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood writer mm -hmm. and uh, he, he kind of went under this username there and then he started writing and then people yes. bought it so he became this, this strong figure. I forgot the username. Yeah. But uh, actually, yeah, a lot of these things that uh, the Democrats are e are harvesting babies and eating them. Yes, and yes. These kind of things are coming. But, you know, in thinking about all of these different mm. forms of populism, um, I can oh, think, I cannot help but think about the vulnerability mm -hmm. of the people. Yes. So it's the, what they have all in common is the vulnerability because mm -hmm. there is uh, some of these concerns or, or, or uh, problems or uh, yeah issues might come from legitimate problems like yes. for example yes. in the Netherlands with the housing crisis yes. Yes. crisis or, or in the US with the middle class uh, yeah. uh, Americans yes. right um, or, or, or in France with the, with the, with act the actual uh, uh, immigrant problem that they have yes, in and, Calais and, and the deterioration of the countryside in, in, in France right yeah. the impoverishment of the countryside versus the cities yeah, and yeah. while Macron, Macron just like Obama is kind of uh, pampering the kind of new entrepreneur startup uh, class mm. yeah? exactly yes so but what then happens is that the, the the vulnerability of people is then taken advantage of yeah. by uh, whoever is riding that wave okay so I, I kind of, I have not in mind a recent or a modern example mm. of, of populist leaders who are, have actually had a good at heart. Yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, what I find so striking and remarkable, and I think that's really the difference to uh, early 20th century European fascism, is that most of these movements are leaderless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, QAnon is pretty much a leaderless uh, movement. The alt-right also was leaderless. I mean, some people tried to be its leaders and, and failed, like Richard Spencer or Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, they, mm. they all yeah, yeah, disappeared yeah. very 
very quickly. Um, and um, they're pretty much self-organized. Um, and I would also say what, what is so attractive about them is that there are like, yeah, I co-wrote uh, uh, an article on this uh, with Roberto Bui from the Wuming Writers Collective in Italy. We said, actually, these are like collective role-playing games, mm -hmm. you know? um, um, live-action uh, live role-playing games where um, everyone is a co-author of the game. You know? mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're, you're part of a kind of yeah, action movie, more or less, mm -hmm. yeah, or mm -hmm. adventure movie, and you're co-writing the, uh, the plot. Yeah. This is also how it works. I mean, the, um, for example, the QAnon that you, you were just given these kind of fragments, the crumbs of information that didn't make any sense on 4chan and 8chan, and then you, you start elaborating on them and, and making hypotheses and speculations, and, and then you, you turn this into a narrative. That's, I think, uh, the really the appeal. That means it gives people agency. Mm -hmm. yeah? So it allows people... You know, to tell the story again, to get yeah. a grip on the narrative, very yeah. literally. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. true. Um, but this this kind of, uh, or, um, yeah, that that every every person is actually a co-author. That is interesting. Um, but I mean, the the systems that are in place uh, and the tools that are there for actual legitimate and legislated change are at the moment representative systems mm -hmm. uh, that are uh, that in the end they they will be the ones who, i mean this will be the system that will be then implemented in the end right to 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 mm -hmm. organize the community or the, the country or um yeah but we, we can of course think of, of better systems uh, of political participation huh? we can say uh, yeah even in the model that now exists uh, in Western democracies like the Netherlands, there are models that are 100 years old and they are based on certain parameters and also technologies um, that uh, maybe are uh, dated. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, um, I'm skeptical whether, you know, improved participation, I mean, I'm familiar with your projects, um, for example, if something like liquid dem democracy, which came up in the co context of the pirate parties uh, about 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. um, whether this is going to solve the legitimacy crisis, because in the end, it also adds one more technological layer or one more abstraction layer. Mm. And, and the, the idea of the populist movements is to remove abstraction, yeah? that there is like an organic will. You know, it's like we are on the streets, we are uttering what we want and this should be immediately listened to. This should be immediately executed. Yeah, um, we are having our demands right now, and and uh, there shouldn't be even any kind of mediation layer between us and politics because and that's the essence of pop, uh, populism, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least yeah. least least of right wing populism to say, uh, uh, why are you not acting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah. are here. We yeah, are exactly. the people. Uh, uh, we want this to happen. Yeah, yeah. With, with populism is often. Emerge in a state of emergency, anger, yes. uh, frustration, emotional charged uh, demands, and and and. Uh, but then we have a more increasingly lack of participation by yes. But in the in the elections going yes. on in in, 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 in the we only we had less than forty percent of voters at the municipal yeah. elections. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we had this uh, in the city of Rotterdam. I was. Uh, 
uh, yeah, for the uh, social housing uh, mm. election a few years ago, that was the same. That it, yeah. Not even enough people uh, Showed up. signed up yeah. so that they didn't uh, have the referendum even. Yes. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like with, uh, If there are so many angry people uh, yeah. going in the street about, uh, against uh, COVID restrictions, where are they when they're supposed mm. to be voting, uh, yeah. you know? So. And, and it's also something where I don't have an answer because I would even say, yeah, as, as someone who has been living in the Netherlands since 16 years, I would say compared to other countries, the possibilities of political participation in the Netherlands are actually quite good. Mm. They're not that bad. Yeah? It's only that people don't know uh, what is possible. Um, so, for example, that as a citizen, you can go to the city hall mm. and um, have the right to it's called speak in yeah to to grab the microphone and and, and voice demands mm -hmm. and, and 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 also um demand uh uh, uh yeah basically um um urge a statement or or that, that, that it's even an obligation then then for politics uh, to to react on your demands mm -hmm. there are many possibilities also with the the decentral politics um, with the so-called so uh, neighborhood councils, etc. Yeah, um, it's it's better than in, in many other countries, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, before I would subscribe to a diagnosis of a representation or a system crisis, I I think you also have to look at the other side that people are not really making use of the existing no. uh, uh, tools of participation. Exactly, um, like we had at the at the yeah. university. Where, uh, where we were uh, teaching um, the participation council nobody knew about it yes, uh, yes. until uh, <laughs> yeah so it was kind of um, there are a different uh, many different tools that are out there but people just don't know about it because uh, nobody seems to bother yes right um, when it comes to uh, engagement within with, with changing mm -hmm. or, or like affecting uh the regulations or the the, the system actually, mm -hmm. but um, this also comes. I mean, the, this the lack of participation in election for me is kind of maybe yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but uh, I feel like there's people kind of don't think it it works anymore, or they just don't yes. seem seem to care yes. uh, about. Because because it, 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 it doesn't matter if the face is changed. It's, it's yes. the same thing yes. over and over again, right? Yeah. So then, yeah, there's this, this frustration. Uh, but, but there's also a problem, right? If you want to become active or if, if you actually want to um, yeah, take a role in, in political decision-making, it's, I mean, it's enormously laborious. Yeah? That's also a problem. I mean, first of all, um, uh, becoming involved in most of the cases, requires that you're economically privileged. Mm. So, uh, for example, if you're living uh, from welfare, it's almost impossible mm -hmm. uh, to even have the time uh, to, to even, let's say, run as a participation council candidate or whatever. Uh, that's number one. And uh, number two, I mean, even the people who do that, for example, I must say, through my own political activism, I... I uh, developed a lot of respect for the people on the city council, despite even when they are making terrible decisions, because it's it's an incredibly laborious job with shitty payment where you cannot live from. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So everyone who's on the city council needs to have some other job. 
Yeah. Or they need to be rich, right? Uh, <laughs> like the Vivide uh, Karamans, uh, who became rich as a startup entrepreneur and can, can do politics as his hobby. Yeah. Yeah, Vincent uh, Karamans. Huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the White Knight. <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> Batman of. Uh, you, should, <laughs> you should see the tra trailer for his campaign. That's very well reprinted. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is just so much things discuss about the yes yes but but the question is i mean the question for your podcast is because we're now really going uh, deeply into politics is yeah. can we improve this through through better participation means let's huh? not not even call it technologies but means yeah is it is it also well, a technical problem well yeah because this is like a, a main uh, problem that there is with within the, with project open source governance is that so a question that keep kept repeating uh, or coming back uh, when mm. we had like uh, public sessions was that all right you have direct democracy you have liquid democracy yes. and you don't have representatives how do you then stop the or, or like prevent or how do you come up with a mechanism that prevents the majority in going towards a really like disastrous yes. destination But at the same time, what is disaster, right? Maybe something that I call disaster for somebody else is, is, mm. is pure heaven, right? Um, but anyways, the extreme, let's say extreme uh, actions can often ri uh, ri rise from, uh, from a majority of people who seem to, for an, an, an unclear reason, follow something that nobody yeah. would have expected, right? So yes. the, me the mechanism that is needed for that kind of leaderless politics mm -hmm. is, is still one of the biggest problems of the design of this, yeah. uh, this research, you know. Uh, and, and I think there are two role models for this. I mean, you already mentioned open source and the open source movement, which under that name has existed since 1998. And you see that there have been lots of governance conflicts in, in, in open source projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, in the open uh, source initiative, um, which is like, say, the guardian of the term open source and the, 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 the author of the open source definition itself, which was started as a kind of right-wing libertarian uh, 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 organization and then had several kind of governance changes. Um, and uh, you see that there's a lot of conflict, also generational conflict in open source projects about codes of conduct. Mm. Yeah? Where, let's say, the older and more cyber hippie libertarian Uh, uh, generation is strictly against it and the younger kind of intersectional queer feminist uh, mm -hmm. generation is uh, uh, in favor of it and you see that this is also uh, becoming a huge problem for, for, for some projects um, to, to still find then a common ground mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, also let's say in the non-digital sphere and much older I think Switzerland is a really good example of yeah. indeed a direct democracy also more or less leaderless I mean that the, the Top politicians in Switzerland are not even really well known because it's 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 very much a kind of collective model of govern governance, mm -hmm. and with lots of uh, uh, citizen participation. But where we also seen in the past 20 years how such a system can be perfectly weaponized, uh, especially by the extreme right. In, in this case, the Swiss People's Party, mm -hmm. um, which also has let's say powerful business interests behind it, and. Um, 
and where then now the referendum system is mostly one where you have another uh, referendum to kick out all, all foreigners from Switzerland and it's mostly about people mobilizing to kind of downvote that re referendum, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's every, every, it, they have a referendum for everything. <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, but, but often they're very reactionary and, and actually you go to the, the, the referendum not in order to enable something but to prevent something, uh, which is being Uh, asked in, in, in the referendum. I think that has become more, more the kind of normality. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting um, methodology. So there are, all, like you say, there are all of these like uh, methods from from mm -hmm. old and, and new. Uh, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is to to, <laughs> to yeah. kind of put all of these like possible pieces together to kind of create. A, Yes, a proposal. Let's say. Yes, but maybe maybe we just need to get rid of the idea that there is somewhere the perfect system. No, right? ex ex exactly. Yes, that's what I. But that's what I like about open source because it keeps evol evolving itself, yeah. or changing, or coming with new versions. So, so then it because if it's if it is supposed to be uh, something that doesn't. That, that is like established, then it becomes mm. establishment. Then that, that what you said about yeah. every system trying to sustain itself. Yeah, but what you see in open source software is, yeah, of course you have permanently new versions and you can be, I don't know, on the GitLab or GitHub up, up and follow the changes in real time. Yes, but um, that is more on the level of, let's say, execution or development, but on the level of governance where you, for example, have the licenses and then on top of the licenses, um, You have the definitions, the free software definition of um, the GNU project and uh, the aforementioned open source initiatives, open source uh, definition, uh, plus the Debian free free uh, software guidelines. These are the three kind of uh, documents that, that describe what qualifies as free software and open source. Mm. Uh, then you see that it's, it's really difficult to uh, implement changes on those definitions. Right. They, they have been in place now for 30 years. Uh, and also it's really difficult to even change the licenses, although the licenses are already one level lower than these definitions. And you could argue that there's a big problem with the definitions because what we have seen with free software and open source is that while it prevented the proprietization of, of, of software in the style of, for example, Microsoft, mm -hmm. um, Uh, it didn't help the platformization of software. Yeah? So, for example, services like Twitter and Facebook, uh, Google, they all run on, on, on open source software. They run on Linux, MySQL, uh, Apache, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but the kind of propriety applications they built on, on, on this free software stack, mm -hmm. they are not open source because the licenses do not cover, for example, something like, like web services or, or, mm -hmm. or distributed applications. This has been a problem, and this is simply a legacy from the fact that the Free Software Foundation uh, was started in the 1980s, mm. uh, where these kind of services didn't exist, yeah. and it, it was meant for locally installed uh, computer software. And I happen to personally know Richard Stallman, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he lived in my apartment in Berlin in 1998 for, for oh. a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you many anecdotes about Richard Stallman, <laughs> but. Um, yeah. He was back in. Uh, he was the founder of Linux, no, uh, of, uh, of of the of the GNU project, which is even older than Linux. Okay, uh, which oh, yeah. started in 1983, right, the Free Software right. Foundation and, yeah. and, and GNU, and um, and um, 
uh, he still, I mean, 15 years ago, he said, yeah, I only care for software freedom for me only is concerns what you run on your own computer. But um, for me, uh, it doesn't entail what people run on their servers. Yeah? Um, so Google for him was not a problem. Yeah? So, and, and we still haven't gone beyond that. Mm. Yeah? So I'm not sure whether free software is more flexible in its governance. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is kind of yeah. Well, like you say, there, there is no perfect system, mm -hmm. but uh, but there, but but you can always like. But this system that is here now with the, with the like, uh, representative system is kind of like a few hundred years old. So yeah, yeah, it's really old. I mean, it's, it's even. I mean, there's so many people who, for example, think that that the monarchy uh, is absurd in, in the Netherlands and also you know, costing a lot of money and yeah. being essentially, um, let's say, a, a public financing of an oligarch family. But still, it seems almost impossible uh, to, to, so, get rid, yeah, to get <laughs> yeah, rid of the monarchy. We, we yes, 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 and the Dutch monarchy is even, you know, it was cre created by uh, Napoleon uh, yeah. during the French occupation of the Netherlands. Yeah. And the Netherlands yeah. were a Republican <laughs> country. <laughs> you still cannot oh, get rid of it. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean... Uh, well, um, we can go on forever. This is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. We, we started from uh, yes. uh, populism. Uh, we, 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 yeah, you covered a lot. I, uh, you, you are really much knowledge on, all, <laughs> on a lot of subjects. I really appreciate it. Um, we're probably going over time and have to recap it at some point otherwise you keep talking for 24 hours yeah. or maybe that, that would be you know that's the future a, a non-stop talk you know yeah. that it becomes really a durational performance exactly. to talk about uh, governance yeah. that's the best way yeah. but, but, but <laughs> what, you, what you say really triggered me with, with mm -hmm. like a, a, a not, non, no perfect system mm -hmm. and, 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 I, and having this podcast I think yeah, it, it's it's more about conversation. Let's just uh, the conversation that keeps for, uh, producing, and and mm -hmm. rather than and if, uh, hyper focusing on on creating a design, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's that's kind of maybe more interesting. That's really like whatever <laughs> what we talked about. I think it's we we covered <laughs> yes, yes. like five episodes. Okay, good. <laughs> so good. concentrated. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Florian. Yeah, if, thank, thank you, Penna. That was a good conversation. So I'm uh, looking forward. I need to catch up with the rest of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I will try to kind of uh, follow up on this episode to generate the next episode uh, or the topic for the episode. Your contribution was really appreciated. I, uh, I thank you very much. And uh, yeah, until next episode. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Florian Kramer about populism. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. It's very important to keep the conversation and discussions going in this project since it's all about sharing information and collectively creating together.
Speaking of collectively creating together, there are some important announcements I would like to share with you. First one is about creating a community for open source governance. In order for us to be able to more closely work together with people who are interested in this subject and the existing members of the project open source governance and new members who would like to join, I have created a Discord server for open source governance. On the Discord server, you can talk about a whole different range of topics from talking about politics, governance, programming, Web3, and uh, discussions in the podcast, to introducing resources and also just for hanging out. The announcements and the events also are more regularly shared here and it's easier to follow. The link to the Discord channel is on the Twitter page and on the website of Open Source Governance. Our Twitter is Project OSG. I would like to encourage you if you use Discord, please join this server because there will be a lot happening here. The other announcement is about article submission. There will be a new section and hopefully a publication made from the articles that are shared with open source governance and we are planning to create a blog on the website where you can send and we will share your article on the website for the whole community. This will be an ongoing process and there is not a submission deadline yet and we will leave this open for the future so if you would like to send an article in a later stage or if you're hearing this uh, a long time after the release of the episode feel free to still send your articles because new topics keep coming up so please if you have something to share with us regarding open source programming governance politics and whatever you feel that they are relevant to what has been discussed so far in the podcast you can send your articles to info at opensourcegovernance.com if we can gather a nice collection of articles uh, we will try to print this as a publication and distribute it as a, a zine and hopefully we can do this as an annual program by the way text is not necessarily the format for this publication if you think of other forms a drawing a sketch an audio file a video file or a, a vr experience whatever comes to your mind uh, we welcome all of them after all this is started as an art project Speaking of art, I would like to thank again Sebeka Rotterdam that enabled us to continue working on this podcast and have these wonderful conversations. Thanks for staying with me for this uh, more or less longer episode. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and uh, see you in the next episode. Have a nice day or night. Bye.